Well, here we are again. You know, it just seems like uh, eternity ago that uh, I spent most of my sermons preaching to an empty uh, audience. We have folks here today, not many, but a few. We have a few here today. Uh, it troubled me the first couple of weeks, so uh, Debbie, in all of her goodness, she gathered all of the puppets from all over the children's area and brought them in to where at least I would have an audience here to preach to. I want to share with you this morning, uh, you know, this, this, like it or not, we have to face the fact that this COVID pandemic has come back with a vengeance. It's hit our church family harder this time than it did before. Now, we haven't had near as many deaths as we did before, but the number of people that have been impacted, uh, that have had to be quarantined, that have been sick, not necessarily in the hospital, though some have, is greater than at other times. As of Friday, uh, our hospital here in Union County uh, is uh, overflowing. They have 45 regular beds. They have 64 patients in the hospital right now. That should tell you something. The emergency room is pretty well full. Our primary and elementary schools have been hit the hardest. You know, the first time around, children just didn't get sick hardly at all. Uh, but it's been greatly impacted them and across our school system, some nearly 25% uh, of our school system, those students as well as teachers and other employees, uh, have either have COVID or are quarantined because they've been in proximity or whatever. I say all that to say because of that and many other reasons is why we have chosen to primarily go online through live streaming today. It hasn't... Uh, exempted our staff either. Uh, Goody is better. He was singing up here just a few moments ago, but uh, Ben has had it, and he's just back in a technical role with us today, though he can't sing yet, gets tired very easily. Ed and Francis are both out, and that's the reason that the, he's not leading in our early service here today, but rather uh, our praise team uh, is. So what we've, we've had it even through our church staff as well. So that's why we're taking a brief hiatus this week. We'll look at numbers again. We'll look at the impact it's having uh, on our church leadership and such. And we'll be letting you know by midweek how things are going. But I want you to know something. COVID has not stopped the ministry of your church. Even during the shutdown, it did not stop the ministry of our church. We have continued to be able to share the message of Jesus Christ and to minister practically uh, into our community as well as within our church family, and it's not going to stop us now. We'll continue with caution. We'll do as our brothers and sisters throughout history have done, and that is we'll be carefully take the necessary precautions for ourselves and yet continue to minister the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ to those around us. One of the side benefits of uh, the shutdown earlier uh, last year and, and even today is it has really pressed us to uh, make excellent our online presence. And I want to thank God first of all, and then for all of those who are so tirelessly and devotedly labored to maintain uh, our media presence here. They are a blessing, and I'm glad that I can be with you today because of their diligence and insight. We learned earlier in our shutdown in the COVID pandemic that it's possible to be together even when we're not together. And we learned that from the, uh, from the book of Acts, chapter 2, that they were together in one mind, but they were together in one place as well. 
Well, that's how we usually are. We're together in one place and together in one mind. But now we have to be together in one mind and heart, even when we can't be together in one place. So I want to share with you this morning, I've, I've been in a series called Satan's Best Lies, but I want to interrupt that to just share uh, a word from the Lord, a word from, from his, his heart to mine, as good as here just a moment ago, and then to pass that on to you. So it's in John chapter 9, the Gospel of John chapter 9, if you want to be turning there. This is a story, and you probably know it well, about the man who's been blind from birth, and uh, the story is about his healing, but it's not just that. Most of the healing miracles of Jesus focus on the healing event, but this one is different. The healing is not the main part of this episode. Rather, it's how people responded to this healing. Uh, the person himself who was healed, as well as those who, who saw the healing, witnessed what had happened. And for the most part, they didn't get it. They didn't grasp the profundity of what was happening in their midst. They didn't see how God was at work. Or they refused to see, some of them, how God was at work. And this is where we struggle often ourselves. From the onset of this episode, it's apparent that Jesus and his disciples looked at what was going on through very different lenses. Let's read Gospel of John chapter 9, and I want to read again the verses that Derek read earlier, the first three verses. Now, when Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God may be revealed in him. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we take a page out of what could have been the newspaper of that day, help us apply it to what's happening in our lives right now. Lord, we want to approach this plague, this pandemic, with our eyes and focus on you. We want to see what's happening through the lens of our faith in the God who heals us. That we're not the first generation to know a plague that has inflicted death and misery on thousands and millions of people. Your people have withstood this, administered your grace in the midst of these many times over. And as long as you tarry, your people will continue to do that. So give us the strength and give us the insight today to where we can be among the people of God who have remained faithful even in the midst of very troubling times. In your name we pray. Amen. To begin with, I want you to see this. I want you to see that asking the wrong question will always result in you getting the wrong answer. I found that to be true in my life. I found it to be true when I was in school. 
It constantly is here. And as we look at the beginning of John chapter 9, we see that's exactly what happened. You see, Jesus and the disciples looked at what had happened in this man's life through very, very different perspectives. They asked the question, Master, who has sinned, this man or his parents, that resulted in him being blind from birth? You see, there was an assumption going on. There was an assumption going on that's as old as the oldest literature in our Bible. And the assumption is this, when you see suffering happening, it must be a punishment. Somebody's obviously done something horrible for this horrible outcome to have come upon these people. Go all the way back to the book of Job. Commentators and researchers tell us that Job is the oldest piece of literature in our Bible. Now, not with his subject matter. Of course, Genesis deals with the beginnings. But as far as literature, Job is the oldest piece of literature in our Bible. And what do we find there? Job is someone who loves God, and God has loved him. And he's been blessed phenomenally, tremendously in his life. But then tragedy happens. Oh, tragedy upon tragedies happen. And he finds himself sitting on an ash heap, boils all over his body, absolutely miserable. And then comes his three friends. I use the term in quotation marks, okay? They sat there and respected him in silence for a while. But then what did they do? They stated what they thought was the theologically obvious. Job, you have sinned mightily. If you had not sinned, this horrible stuff would not have befallen you. If you just repent of that, if you just admit that you're a sinner, and this is this your just punishment, that then God may be merciful to you. The only problem was, though Job never claimed to be sinless, he said, wait a minute, boys. This punishment doesn't meet any crime that I could have possibly ever done. Your theology is wrong. But it persisted. It persisted throughout the generations. And it persisted even in Jesus' day. And that's why these disciples... When they looked at this man, obviously he'd been blind from birth, he was suffering. So what did they think theologically? Well, obviously this man or his parents, somebody has sinned grievously or else this calamity would not have befallen him. Let me put it in today's language. They were looking for somebody to blame. They were looking for somebody to put the fault upon. This is what was going on. We see the same thing happen in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 9, you, you'll uh, remember that, that Paul is on his, uh, his journey. 28, pardon me, Acts 28. I knew that sounded wrong. He is on his journey and he's been shipwrecked along with all of the crew. And they landed on the island of Malta. And they were gathering together. The natives had come to help them, and they were making a bonfire where they could get warm. And let me read to you what happened. Now, when they had escaped, they found the island of Malta, and the natives showed them unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain was falling, and it was cold. 
But when Paul gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on to his hand. So the natives saw the creature hanging on his hand, and they said to one another, No doubt this man was a murderer, whom though he escaped the sea, yet justice will not allow to live. See that thinking? Same line of thinking. But Paul shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up suddenly and fall down dead. But after he had looked a long time and saw no harm had come to him, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. But do you see the thinking? You see the line of thinking. When suffering or tragedy occurs, there's something in us that longs to assign blame. In our current situation, if you spend any time at all in front of the, the television watching the news, God bless you if you have, okay? You see, that, that's what everybody's searching for. Who can we blame? Who can we blame with 170 people that were killed in the Kabul airport and our 13 brave Marines? Who do we blame? Who, who, who do we blame for inflation? Who do we blame for the inconvenience and the wearing of masks and all of the bad things that are going on? Who do we blame for the death of our loved one? Is it a foreign government or is it our own government? Is it God or is it Satan? Who can we blame? But in the passage that we read today, Jesus is saying, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. And you're not going to get an answer searching for the wrong question. He refused to engage in that. Let me tell you the right answer to that wrong question. The right answer to that wrong question. Master, who has sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus said, neither. It's not about blame. It's not about finding fault. You see, since the fall of Adam and Eve, sin has been the atmosphere that we have lived in. And the result of the fallen of mankind is all of the disease, all of the suffering, all of that. It's the result. Of, what do you mean who sinned? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus was saying, it's not a matter of affixing blame, either to this man or to his parents. Trying to find someone to blame is the wrong course of action. In my personal experience, I found that the wrong question always leads to the wrong answer. Why am I calling attention to John chapter 9 right now? Because the blame question doesn't help us today any more than it helped the people in his day. I mean, who are you going to assign blame to anyway? You're going to assign it to Wuhan, China or Washington, D.C.? Are you going to assign it to, to Trump or Biden? To Fauci or Pelosi? Who are you going to blame? You're going to blame the Republicans or the Democrats? 
You're going to blame the governor or the local school board? You're going to blame the doctor? You're going to blame the medicine? You're going to blame the hospital? Who are you going to blame? Now, of course, if injustice is done, it is only right to seek the one that has done that injustice and bring them to justice. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this tendency that we have, that we can feel better about our situation if we can put the blame off on somebody else. Let's just say you, you find somebody to blame. Let's say you find somebody that at least in your mind and in your way of thinking, you can undoubtedly hang the blame upon. Let me ask you a question. What do you have? What do you have? What have you gained? Have you, have you got your health back now? Have you got an additional hour you can spend with that loved one who died? What have you got now that you found somebody to blame? Do you have peace? No. No. May I give you a, a lesson that I've learned the hard way? <laughs> there is something deep within the human heart that compels us to ask the answer why. It, it, we're driven to that. It, it's a natural reaction when tragedy happens to ask a question why, to find somebody to blame. It's, just, it, it's, it's a natural path to go down. But let me tell you something, my friends. That path has no end. And if there is an end, you know what you'll find there? Nothing. Nothing. And Jesus knew that. He said, you're asking the wrong question. You're, you're looking in the wrong direction. Totally. I suggest to you, the, answer, the, the question is, what now? What now? That's the alternative Jesus is asking. What must we do now? What can happen now? What cannot change the past? But I can surely define the future. A meaningful future gives value to the past. The blame question is as unhelpful today as it was in Jesus' day. But Jesus said, this man was born blind so that the works of God might be manifest, might be revealed in his life. The right question is for our present crisis. What is happening right now, and how can we join God in it? With this re-examined look of, Je of the situation, Jesus helps us get in touch with a deep cry within our heart. God, where are you in all this? What are you doing in the midst of this? And how can I join you in this? God, what are you saying and how can I hear you more clearly? What are the works of God that you're wanting to manifest in my life, in my family, in my neighborhood, in my community? Right now, what's happening spiritually? 
and how can I join you in it? Jesus told the disciples that God was doing some marvelous works in this man's life through his suffering. His suffering was not without purpose. God was about to move mightily. But they had to get their focus off of blame and on to what now? What now? What are the marvelous works of God? that he's wanting to manifest, to reveal in your life right now, in the midst of everything that's going on? Is it all the bickering you hear going on <clears throat> with one another about whether or not we ought to wear a mask? How often we need to wash our hands and with what soap? How close we need to stand to one another? I was talking with our son, Michael. He lives in the Northwest. He said, Daddy, people are ready to fight up here about this. I mean, drawing guns and... Really? Would it not be a marvelous work of God to respect one another and the conclusions they have come to? Wouldn't it be a mighty testimony of God's grace that someone wearing an N95 approved mask can stand with someone who is wearing a cloth one or none at all and get along? Wouldn't it be a work of God's grace that the vaccinated and unvaccinated could stand together and find a way to minister his empathy in the midst of the world we're living in? Wouldn't it be a work of God to be thankful for what we have? Thankful for medical professionals and medicine to combat things such as this? Would it be a work of God for us to reach out and love to a friend, to a neighbor, to a church member, to give encouragement, to run an errand, to go buy some groceries, just to talk? If we have to be shut in, wouldn't it be valuable to spend time in prayer one for another? Can we decide to trust God even when we can't trust anything else we see or hear? How can God manifest His great work in your life right now? Calling you to prayer. Getting creative about how you can bless your neighbor. Getting on the phone and calling everybody you know, what's going on? How can I pray for you? Is there anything I can do for you? Maybe I'm shut in and can't even get out, but is there some way that I can encourage you in the Lord Jesus Christ? Can I share with you a little bit of history? Martin Luther, that great reformer, lived and ministered God's grace through the bubonic plague, the black death. We know nothing when you compare to that. He wrestled spiritually with how to minister physically. And during that horrific time, he wrote a 14-page thesis that was published for encouragement and insight. Toward the end of that thesis, he wrote this. May I share? 
Very well, by God's decree, the enemy has sent poison and deadly decomposition into our midst. Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I will fumigate. I will help purify the air. I will administer medicine and take it. I will avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others and so cause the death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he surely knows where to find me. And I have done what he has expected of me. And I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid a place or a person, but I will go freely. Now there's a hero. There's a man who balanced care for himself and his family and love for other people. I can think of no better model anywhere in history. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, this horrific epidemic is real. And it's nothing to trifle with. We must take care of ourselves and our family. But we must not allow this to drive us inward and to keep us from doing the ministerial grace of God into the community in which we live. We cannot be driven inward. We must be driven out. This is an opportunity, a dreadful opportunity, but an opportunity for the works of God to be manifested in my life and in yours. Our Lord will see us through this. He will bring us out of this. But what will we have to show for it on the far side? What stories of love and grace will you get to share with your children? What tales of generosity and devotion will you share with your brothers and sisters in Christ? What jewels will there be in your crown because you got creative of how you can minister God's love even in these circumstances? Or will you come out of this being proud you came through it unscathed? You looked after your own. You took care of yourselves. You made it through. Hallelujah. What will we say to our Lord when He asks us, what did you do with this dread opportunity? Don't get sidetracked asking the wrong questions. Don't get sidetracked trying to affix blame. Ask rather the question, God, how can your grace and mercy be manifested in my life as I live for you and even die for you in my community? I want us to take our time and pray and ask God that. Ask him to show us. God, do you, what do you want us to do? You want us to hunker down, to, to bunker down in our house, to seal off all the doors and windows, put on the air purifiers, drink the water that we've been setting aside for years, eat our MREs. And God may be telling you to do that. I don't know. 
That's not what he's telling me. Do everything you can to protect yourself, Fred. And then go love those that I love. Whether you're calling them on the phone, running an errand, giving them encouragement, spending your time on your knees praying for them, whatever it is I tell you to do, I want to work my work in your life. The question is, can God trust me? Can He trust me to manifest His works in my life? Can He trust you? Our praise team had a song prepared, but I'm going to ask them not to do that. I'm going to ask rather, Nick, if you'll just come to the keyboard and just chord softly, if you will, wherever he is. I lost him. (laughs) Uh, Here he comes. Just chord softly, because I want us to have a time of prayer. I want us to just focus in on talking to the Lord. God, if I've I've got my attention distracted, (laughs) if, if I've got too caught up in casting blame, God, I want to be zero focused in on you. I want to be focused on what are the works you want to manifest in my life. Here in the sanctuary, but especially there at home. It's time to do business with God. And we do that in prayer. Will you bow your heads and let's pray together. Holy Spirit, There's so much about this pandemic that causes fear to run deep in our lives. An icy chill to run through our veins. We all know someone who has caught this, maybe a mild case, maybe severe. We know people within our church family right now that's in the hospital fighting to breathe. This is real. And it can be deadly. But Father, we don't want to succumb to fear. Fear paralyzes us. But faith energizes us. Father, we come before you. And we choose not to look at this pandemic through eyes that want to cast blame. But look through the lens of faith. God, where are you? What are you doing? How can we come alongside you and help? How can you work your marvelous works in our individual lives. How can you work that grace out of our lives? Lord, there's not a one of us, the oldest and and most infirmed, can pray this prayer and ask this question. The youngest and most healthy can pray this prayer and ask this question.
God, we see the suffering around us. We see the fear. We see the misinformation. We see the fighting and the bickering about do we do this or do we do that. Into the midst of this, can we be the voice of grace and mercy? Can we be the presence of love? Can we be your hands and your feet, your voice and your heart? We are not powerless. We are not incarcerated. We are not muzzled. We yield ourselves to you, Father, that you might do your works in us and through us. So in this time of prayer, we ask you, God, where are you in this? What are you doing? How can we help? How can we help our neighbor? How can we help our community? How can we help our church? God, you were so creative. You, you created the entire universe by just speaking words. So speak into our hearts and create in us the answer for us individually to pursue. God, we love you. We confess to you this is a fearful disease. We don't want it. <laughs> we don't want it to come to anybody we know or love. By faith in you, we refuse to isolate. We choose to be your hands and feet. Show us how. This is our prayer. In Christ's name, amen. Let me ask you something, please. As God leads you creatively, shows you ways you can reach out in grace. I want to know. We want to share them here. The stories of what God has done in you and through you in this time of COVID. We love you. Hate not being with you today. Thankful for those who could be here in our sanctuary. But know this. The God of grace will get us through. God bless you.